Welcome to K-Drama School. I'm your host, Grace Jung, and class is now in session. of January. I feel like this month flew by real fast. I think I achieved a lot of things and at the same time achieved nothing. That's how it always feels, I suppose, living this artist's life. I've been having a lot of intense dreams lately. They're very, very complicated. Uh, they actually kind of border on nightmares because I feel like I'm always like close like at the edge of something, and then I don't get that thing. Like, uh, for instance, I've been dreaming about a lot of ex-boyfriends, like guys that I don't really think about, but it's like we're we're back together, and then we're about to fuck, and then we just don't fuck. Like, what is that? What kind of blue-balling kind of nightmare dream is that? Why? It's a dream. It should just happen, because come on, but it just never ends up happening. It's very annoying. And the other kind of dream I keep having is missing my flight. That's more of a common dream, missing flights as a dream associated with anxiety. But in this case, it's like almost every night I'm having this kind of dream where I miss a flight and I don't know what's going on. It's very bizarre. It's very weird. I think I am being pushed to become more self-reliant as an artist, as a writer, as a visual artist, I am currently planning my first ever art show. It's going to be a stand-up comedy and art show. It's going to be on February 11th at this art gallery space called My G. It's on West Pico in LA. If you're in town, please come. Please come and see our comedy show. Enjoy our artwork. I'm probably going to be selling prints of my artwork as well. So come through, come through and check out uh, LA comedians who are also visual artists. And the lineup specifically has other stand-up comics who happen to be, you know, like comic strip artists and animators and toy designers, like mural artists. We're all we're all different kinds of uh, expression expressionists, I suppose. So come through and check it out check out our work and catch a great show it's gonna be free but the show will be donation based so we'll just be accepting whatever donations you have for us and then we're going to split it amongst ourselves so that's going to be on february 11th please come through if you're in town today i'm talking about a show called when a man loves it's a an nbc korean drama from the year 2013 it stars song seung-on and shin se-kyung and it is written by Kim In-young, who wrote quite a few Korean dramas, some of which include my favorites from the year 2000 and 2001. Uh, Truth, which came out in the year 2000, stars Chiju and Yu Shi-won. And a year later, she wrote Delicious Proposal, which stars Son Ye-jin. And her shows tend to lean towards the hyper-excessive and camp. So Truth, 
and When a Man Loves are both pretty campy, pretty ridiculous. They include a lot of that K-drama trope, like memory loss and amnesia after car accidents, okay? So that's definitely her in her wheelhouse. She also wrote a show called Unkind Women, which stars some behemoth actresses like Kim Heja, Cheshira, and Dojiwon. And it's a really funny, heartfelt kind of show with b- bizarre plot lines, uh, but it's still somewhat couched in practicality relative to some of the earlier shows that she's written. Kim Min-young also wrote a more recent Korean drama called Black Knight, which also stars Shin Se-kyung. And it is such a weird show because it came out a year or two after Goblin became a mega hit. And it attempts at a similar sort of Goblin-esque fantasy tale, but it wound up being such a crazy show. Like, it just didn't make any sense. And there's this one scene in Black Knight that I cannot erase from my head, no matter how much I try. Like, when I saw it happen, my mouth was open, and I just... I was just like breathing out of my mouth the whole time. Like, I think I was yelling. <laughs> it's such a crazy scene. So in this scene, in, in Black Knight, you have an older witch who takes a younger witch and starts spanking her across the ass for misbehaving. And oh my God, I will never forget that image. It's like a historically insane scene. I don't think I'll ever get over it. I, I'm like a different person after I saw that scene. Like, I'm no longer the same. I love Korean dramas because the writers are like Kim Min-young and she weaves a crazy tale. She's balls-to-the-wall batshit. It's excessive, insane, and it's glorious. When a Man Loves has some intensely camp moments as well. Very, very crazy. Like, how can this even be happening? This should not be happening. Like, it really pushes the envelope at times. And what also impresses me about this show is Hong Seung-un. Because Hong Seung-un has been this pretty boy all his life, since, since the 90s when he came out. And his entire career was built on his good looks, right? And he's made some radical choices as an actor to fend off this this perception of like the pretty boy image right like he's done some really ridiculous tv shows that when i'm watching them i'm just like i can't believe he's willing to go there and he always does song singan's also taken some risks like he's done a very sexy movie called obsessed which came out in 2014 it's got a lot of explicit sex scenes in that and i think song singan's an interesting actor because because of this desire to break expectations of himself. Like he doesn't just play a standard, handsome, pretty boy lover type. He really goes beyond that by playing these insane, complicated, radically weird and zany sorts of characters. And his his choices at times do seem laughable. But because he's willing to go there, I respect his acting chops and I respect him as an artist. That's right. You can be camping crazy and still be an artist. Absolutely. Absolutely. Today's guest is J.P. Putinvitel, who is a young comic based in Los Angeles. He's a very interesting guy. He's got some interesting perspectives. He's got some great answers for the flashcard questions. Let's talk to J.P. Oh, you have a cat. Yeah, I have a little cat. Hi, cat. Her name is Baz. Hi, Baz. Cute. Like Baz Luhrmann? No, her full name is Bazinga Bunny. <laughs> How old are you, JP? I'm 25. 
Holy shit, you're really young. I'm a little small child. I'm not that mm. young. I mean, I've done. I don't know. I've done stuff that old people do. <laughs> like what? Name I've them. rented a car. Okay, that is a grown-up so, thing. I've lived life. Well, lived life. Yeah, I had, I've worked jobs. I don't know. I've yeah, rent. I've done adult things. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Those are all adult things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's not stuff that children do. I raise well, a not anymore. Cat. You do raise a cat. I do raise a cat. She's very. Hi, Baz. Hi, Baz. Cute. That's a very chill cat. Cats yeah, letting you do that. She doesn't care a lot. Oh wow. Oh, that's sweet. <laughs> <laughs> um, how long have you been living in LA? I I moved in LA in 2019, so like in May of 2019. Whoa, okay. So like two years, maybe three years, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know how long so, ago that was. I think that's three years. It's going to be three years in 2022. Okay, cool. Uh, yeah, well, wow. So, okay, so you moved to LA and then literally like less than a year later, you're in lockdown. Yeah, no, that was fun. That was That was fun for me. Uh, I was yeah. actually working at Disney Channel when I got uh, when lockdown happened, so I got fired. Uh, oh shit! Which is now I, I'm not I don't have a problem with now because it's not really what I wanted to do. But at the time, I was like, oh, darn. Yeah, it's it's painful to get fired. What mm-hmm. were you doing at Disney Plus? I was at a I was at Disney Channel, so it was like their oh Disney I was in Channel their animation department. Okay, I was an assistant to some of the VPs in current series. Got which it. was cool, but it was like the because I wanted to be a writer in kids television, which is still something I want to do. But the annoying thing about like going the assistant route is you have to lie about what you want because if you want to like stay at the company, you're pretty much if you're like I was the assistant to producers, so pretty much they had to I had to say, hey, I want to be a producer, and then oh, maybe shit. two years later say, never mind, I want to be a writer, and hopefully they liked me enough to transfer. I do want to be a writer, or I want to write in kids television. But, uh, mm. yeah, I mean, like, it's nice to work there and be close to it, but it's, like, you're not really doing what you want to do. And okay. It would have been, like, two to th- – it would have been, a, like, five years of work just to, like, maybe become a writer's assistant. And, like, oh. that – I would have had to, like, lie. When you're an assistant, if you want to be a writer, you have to lie about what you want to do. Like, I was an assistant to producers. So if I told them, like, when I – if I got there – and I was like, hey, I really want to be a writer. They would have looked for any excuse to fire me because they're yeah. trying to breed their successor. Right, right. So I pretty they, much had to be like, I want your yeah. job. I, I heard that a lot. I um, There's another comic. He used to work for like one of the networks, one of the big networks, like maybe NBC or something. And he was uh, in TV development. And his goal was, of course, to one day be writing TV shows. But if you work in admin then they hate having people who are interested in the creative pursuit like it's very much segregated like that i don't know why it needs to be but it is like that and uh yeah it's kind of like um i'm sure you've heard this rumor but like you know at the comedy store when waitresses try to become a comic like mitzi shore used to hate that she used to get mad at that it's similar to that it's like whatever task you came in to execute just focus on that and don't yeah. think about anything else like that's the expectation it's definitely like stay in your lane i think that like for the whole industry there's this whole 
Like you're not, I mean, you're not supposed to mess mm-hmm. with people. You're like, mm-hmm. yeah, it was a comic. If you, if I see like a big comic that I like, I'm not supposed to say shit to them mm. and they can do whatever they want to me. Like, mm. right. We're pretty, I think it, like young comics are pretty much being hazed until the day they make it. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's true. And it's not just comedy. It's like in any, with any job, with any institution, with any organization, like the hazing never stops, I feel like. And, um, you know, in, in those circumstances, it's like, I, I mean, I admire what you did, which is just that you kind of let that job go. I mean, it it ended for you, but you you let it go. I'm sure you were able to collect unemployment, which is great. Yeah, that was And, and, you know, you still get to be a comic and you still get to retain your dream. So good for you. For sure. And like get stepping away from that job allowed me to get into comedy more and grind harder with it which was yeah. nice. Now I do like, I have a weird job now. I, I do graphic video. I do gra- like motion graphics for board game tutorials. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. It's like, I work for a YouTube company who board game publishers will send us their games and be like, can you make like a tutorial for it? And I'll do yeah. all that in After Effects. That sounds kind of fun. That sounds it's pretty fun. dope. It's more tedious than anything, but it's like, it's easy and I can stay home and kind of do it whenever I want so I can work my schedule. That's great. Yeah. Can't ask for nice. more. Can't ask for more. Yeah. Yeah. Where did you uh, move from? I, I grew up in North Carolina and then I mm. went to college in Nashville, Tennessee. Holy shit. Yeah. And okay. then I moved here. So you're like a proper Southerner. Yeah. My, yeah, vaguely. Uh, my dad's Indian. So we grew up in like a weird southern household and i went to a fucking i went to belmont university which mm. is i don't know if you know it's the country music school like wow. it's, it's the country music school where like brad paisley and i uh, and like fucking all those people went wow. and i went there for for film uh-huh which is a dumb decision to do <laughs> on my part i guess really? it was i mean it was kind of cool like at the time to go to film school and yeah. now i'm just like I don't like movies that much. What? I like I like movies, but I don't I think like that wasn't the right place for me and when you're in a when you're in an area that's like when you're just surrounded by a ton of peers who are way I don't know. I I I got really annoyed with that pretentious like we should all go watch The Godfather vibe. Oh, okay. I'm like I don't want to watch The Godfather. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's with every film school. Every film school, they make you feel that way. They make you feel like you're an idiot for not liking Annie Hall or make you feel like an idiot for right. uh, liking, I don't know, SpongeBob, whatever it is that you like. Yeah, but that's, what, that's what it's built on. Yeah, it's, it's like until people can make their shit, they have to like go off of their, their knowledge and their big brains. I remember yes. the summer after the old, the the... The really bad Suicide Squad with Will Smith. Uh-huh. When that came out, I liked it, and I was like, I like, I thought this movie was fine, and I had fun with the montages, and I yeah. was looking forward to it. And I went back to school, and it was like, I liked it, and everyone was like, "Fuck you, sir! Right. You can't like that movie." Uh-huh. And it was just like, what the fuck? I, I like, I don't. Know, I think bad movies are more fun than good movies, mostly because yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I agree. And it's like every movie has its merits for whatever they're mm-hmm. good at, you know? Like Suicide Squad is known for its colors and its graphics yeah. and its effects. And 
um you know other movies are more plot based other movies are more realist or the acting or the direction or the lighting like you know it's like everything depends on how you decide to look at it to Um, me it's also like knowing i mean just like being out here and at least going to film school i don't know everything i'm not like i'm not really in the film business uh as much uh as i like i'm not paying but i know i do know what it takes to like make a movie and it's like a lot it's years of work so which is why it is insane for me for for anybody to say anything bad about a movie yeah when somebody's like this movie sucks i'm just like you aren't this mean to murderers (laughs) like somebody will be like they they murdered a bunch of people and they're like fuck that guy but if somebody makes a movie that disappoints you they go they're like this is the devil this is (laughs) satan that's a really good point. That's true. People take art very personally. It's amazing. Yeah. It's amazing how they take art personally that they did not they, themselves create. That's the no, funny like fucked up part. Yeah. They either love it or they hate it or they're apathetic to it. But the it's fact like when, yeah. everything takes a lot of time and effort. Everything does. It's like when people are mad at Star Wars. They're like, I. they're like so pissed that the new Star Wars movie sucks. And I'm like, you're in an you just watch them you just what, what that was like that's a cumulative nine hours of your life mm. you could uh i'm sure you watched it more than once but like what well, you didn't make the movie you weren't right. involved in the process why are you so upset exactly that it's exactly bad? exactly because it's like imagine being the creator of that you know movie or that series you know and and you yourself as a creator imagine you being the creator and being disappointed in the work that you just put yeah. out do you think they know it's bad like before they release it i think so i mean i heard um quite a few people say like oh sometimes like i'm on set and i'm working on something and i have no idea what the hell where the hell is headed or sometime i'm yeah. on set and we're making a film like you know uh, matt damon said that he said that about oh, it was like his Chinese movie, like The Wall, The Great Wall. Oh, or The something. Great Wall. I remember that one. Yeah, and he was just saying how, like, he really knew that this film was a train wreck because he was yeah. part of it. Like, he saw all the things that were going wrong with it. But it's like, once that, I mean, something as massive as a film production with, like, millions, if not tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions of dollars in place, is like, once that ball gets rolling, the only thing you have to do is just do all the work and make sure you, make sure you finish it. You know, that's all yeah. you really can do. Yeah, I mean, that's all you can do. Do you ever, like, feel like, Shit. do you ever write a joke and then bring it to a stage and you're just, like, you know it's a bad joke and you're not even excited about telling it, but you're just, like, let's throw it out there anyways? <laughs> um, or are you, like, are do you write it, when you write a joke, are you, like, sure? Are you, like, I know this is funny? And do I, you, like, believe in it? I try when I'm writing a joke, I usually like if I'm sitting down and writing, I usually make sure that there is a punchline. That's yeah. really the only goal. And once I have the that at least a punchline, then I'll bring it up on stage and then I'll riff around it. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, um, that'll create more tags or whatever. But I usually make sure that there is at the very least a punchline. Unless I'm just always, yeah. unless I'm just only going up and riffing, because sometimes I'll do that. Like, have you done like yeah, like sure. set list mics? Like, I love those set list mics. But yeah, I, or like yeah, the improv mics. Yeah, I like doing those. Yeah, I love those mics. Are you Because I used to watch like the meltdown set list. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Did you ever watch that? The Nerdist used to have a show. No. Oh, it was called that. the set list. It was my favorite, one of my favorite comedy shows because it'd be like 
Robin Williams and Eliza wow. and just big comics would go uh -huh. into the meltdown. Yeah. And they'd have it would be one of those like set list kind of things. Yeah. Where they, they, but it was the best prompts. Yeah. It would be like Kyle Kinane has one of my favorites. He got like I sell breast milk wholesale uh -huh. or it'd be like fake erection pranks uh -huh. or it would be inner monologue of a dissected butterfly. Yeah. And I'm like just wait because I do I do I do the improv mic. I think I'd, I go, uh, I live right next to fourth wall. Okay. So I go there most every day uh -huh. and do their mic. Yeah. Improv mic, and it can be fun. Yeah. I love those mics. I usually write some of my best material just doing those kinds of mics or. Oh yeah. That's the best way to do it. Right. Or yeah. Or just talking to a friend. Yeah. Yeah. Like riffing with somebody is the best way to like write. Uh huh. And that's how I, uh, comics talk all the time basically, but yeah. Yeah. I play a game with my roommate who's a comic. I don't know if you know Forrest Wheeler. Uh, no. But he, we play a game called Things You Can't Say, which mm -hmm. is just we'll try to one-up each other on things we're not allowed to say. on. We should just can never say this on stage. Okay. Keep this, keep this away. Yeah. This should not be – but it's just terrible things. And it's a fun way to, like, develop ideas for, like, darker premises. I don't yeah. do a lot of dark jokes, but if yeah. he does, but it's like – uh, I'm trying to think of one. Oh, one time uh, one of our friends was hanging out with us and he said, I think that some midgets are magic. <laughs> uh, <laughs> some probably are. I like that exercise. Yeah. Cause um, it's true. Like, you know, I, I mean, you went to film school, so maybe you know this, but um, you know how like back in the day, like in the 10s, 20s, 30s, 40s, yeah. 50s, they used to censor a lot of films. Like they had like the production code administration and they would decide what what is allowed to be shown or said and what is not. And they would censor everything. They would censor homosexuality. They would censor black and white miscegenation. They would censor cursing, of course. They would censor anything that implied sex and so it was like like a lot of sanitized films and um what all those creators were doing was like ways of getting around those censorship codes and yeah. still portray things like homosexuality black and white relations sex you know some kind of innuendo right like they were really mm -hmm. trying to get around those codes but still do it so it's like as comics maybe we kind of have a similar task or we have a yeah. similar sort of role in society in that, yeah, there are certain words that we cannot say. There are certain concepts that are taboo, but how mm -hmm. do we get around that and still make the joke land and still talk about it? Because just because we don't talk about it doesn't mean that it's not happening. It's still happening. Oh yeah. Right? And that's the thing is just like, that's the difference between like a good comic and maybe a comic that's trying to go for a shock value. Like, uh, like I, I was doing a joke a couple weeks in a row where it was fun, but I'm kind of putting it away because it's dumb and it's shock value-y. I don't know if it's a good okay. joke, but I would just go up and be like, uh, I think Kobe faked it. Like, a helicopter into a mountain, that's a bit dramatic. That doesn't seem like, uh -huh. how do you uh -huh. hit a mountain? Was, it, was his daughter flying? That was a joke. Wow. Uh, and okay. that went over really well in like a dark mm -hmm. room with comics. And I tried it at two exactly. shows and nothing. No. Yeah. So. No, that's the thing. That's the other thing. That's the other problem that you run into is like comics. We have like a higher threshold for 
shocking things because we're just kind of dulled out at this point and so in order to make like an open mic room laugh we have to sort of push the envelope pretty hard but that's not a good barometer when it comes to testing the waters for what a mainstream audience might like in say north carolina or in fucking tennessee or wherever the fuck like i i see these these are there's huge comics who like put out albums really consistently or specials like maybe every couple years there's even some who put out every year something Mm -hmm. new and Mm -hmm. and like a lot of younger comics are like struggling to get their first hour together or even their Mm. first half hour of like tight solid material and it's like okay how are these are these huge comics that are getting hours out every single year just like that much better and i'm like first of all yeah they probably are because they're they they're like good and they've been doing it for a while but also when you're performing your newly written jokes only and when you're not having to do open mics and you're booked all the time and you're doing the store or improv and you're doing your newly written jokes in front of live audiences, you're probably keeping a lot more. Like, I feel like mm. open micers end up, th- probably in the time we're open micing, we'll probably throw away some decent jokes just because open yeah. micers didn't like them. And then we never got to yeah. them in front of audiences. That's true. That's true. It's a fine balance, you know? It's, and ultimately, you're the only person who can decide right like so you're talking about this kobe bryant joke and it's like it didn't land so well with the audiences it's it's like okay but kobe bryant's death is still relatively and it's la yeah and it's la it's like la's hero and uh you know i have i have i have like really old jokes that i wrote you know long time ago and then i would stop using them just because i got sick of them or because like i i didn't know how i felt about them and then time passes and then i dig it back out and then I'm like oh I could deliver this joke a little bit better now you know so and I get a different perspective on it so that happens too oh yeah it's like especially if you I might have like a Mm one-liner that I like had by itself and it's like kind of working by itself but then I shelf it and maybe a year later I think of the joke that and I'm like okay this actually fits right there and that's exactly exactly that's that's the best it's like we're we're trying to we have like a puzzle box, but we're creating the pieces as we move along to make it the full picture. Yeah, yeah. I actually really like it's fun to go up certain times, especially at mics and stuff and just kind of like riff and like decide what but I'm actually a really big fan of like building out your set list and like, like huh. kind of like organizing like especially for a show, like organizing yes. exactly because like you can then then once everything's like in front of you and on paper, you can see like actually this joke would be funnier if before that and then like mm-hmm. you can like make jokes like kind of like joke math you're yeah like, like figuring out how things fit together and it'll like a a good joke will like come across even better if it's like surrounded by the right things yeah for sure did you start comedy out in the like out in tennessee or north carolina or I, started I started in nashville and i didn't oh what was that scene like it was it was cool it was interesting it was um there weren't a lot of shows being produced huh. like the there were a lot of mics and i did the mics but i never i don't think i ever really even got booked while i was in nashville i kind of i did it for about two years in nashville okay. and just did mics and they had zanies that was the big club yeah uh 
but there there just wasn't like a there wasn't really an indie scene of like production and shows okay and stuff and i really didn't okay. know enough to produce my own at the time right uh but it was like yeah it was just miking and there were some cool people but like i think the the big thing was just like try to get in it with zanies and like try uh -huh. to get into that club and i never i was also like not all in in nashville i was like maybe doing a couple mics a week uh and then when i came to la i was similar was like a couple mics a week and maybe a show and then like pandemic is when i was like okay like i just stopped working at disney and i was like and i started doing some more stand-up mm -hmm. and i was like okay this is what i want and i was like okay now every day is this mm. thing so you were doing it via zoom a lot probably i did a lot of zoom comedy and wow i'm so happy that i'm not anymore but I did, I did yeah. like sing festivals and like, Whoa. I did Dat Fans show a lot. It was, Whoa. it was a whole, and I, it was ter. I, I don't even know what I was doing. It was just cause yeah. I wanted to do something and there was some opportunities popping up with it. So I was like, let's just do it. And yeah. so I like, cause that, you know, Dat Fan. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He, he was like, I, I didn't really know what the fuck I was doing. So I just listened to whatever people told me to do. And I did them and he was like, you need to have a solid background behind you. And so I, and you need to be standing up and, and I have a fake microphone and I did all of that. And, but I didn't have like a way to like mount like a solid background behind me. So what I would do is every night before I did like a zoom mic or a zoom show, I would like duct tape this black curtain I had to my ceiling. Just wow. It was like a 30 minute process of duct taping <laughs> a curtain to my ceiling. And it would like fall during shows <laughs> and like on me. And it was at it was like it didn't even look good because like when I was done I would just bundle it all up and the tape would get all over the curtain. Yeah. And it would yeah. look messy. And it was just like but that's what I would do for like I did that for like I don't know peak zoom comedy times i was doing all jesus that. oh my god okay so you put a lot into it i did and i don't know if i got a lot out of it i think i got like my joy of performing and it was like yeah it, it helped launch me into when things started to open back up mm -hmm. it helped me like want to do that mm -hmm. and launch me into doing that um yeah but yeah it was ugh, it was rough i I know. I felt similarly when I was doing Zoom shows and Zoom mics. I was just like, I'm just keeping up with this because if I don't, I feel like I'll go insane. So yeah. it was really more of like a lifeline rather than me being getting good at comedy because you're not going to get good at comedy doing it via Zoom. And no. so all the all the jokes would be in front of me, you know, like my memory was shot to hell during the pandemic. Like, oh, yeah. I, I was smoking a lot of weed. <laughs> yeah, I just I couldn't tell like what time was anymore. And so I couldn't remember anything. I couldn't memorize anything. So I would have the jokes in front of me. And so when the when things started opening back up and I was starting to do live shows again, I had to sort of like rework my brain into remembering my set list. Like the first mm -hmm. several shows that I did, I remember losing everything, like going totally blank, you know, even though I have like years of material that's there that I've been doing, mm -hmm. it would just go blank. And I would have to like do fill it with crowd work until my memory would be jogged to the joke again, you know? But, yeah. It, yeah. Did you ever try crowd work over Zoom? 
I mean, when I did Zoom shows, I would do crowd work almost like 80% of the time because it's just hard to see or tell like who the fuck is laughing and, you know, who's yeah. into it. So, out. yeah, I would just like read the names off the thing and make fun of the names or I would like see somebody like looking funny and I would just make fun of them. And that's mm -hmm. when they would always light back up because they the way that they're looking at it is like they're not seeing a live show. They're looking at a screen. And right. the way that we treat screens is like, we treat it like it's just another member of the family. It's just like, you're just there. You're not even a live person. You're just there. Like yeah. I can do it while doing dishes. I could watch you while taking out the garbage. I could leave you on in the background. That's how people I used to treat like, screens. I yeah. used to just like hang with my roommate while I was doing a Zoom show if I wasn't on. I would like yeah. my old self. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly we would we we do a lot of different shit like we don't focus on our screens our screens I are i barely laugh secondary. when i watch a, like a special on netflix exactly. like i'm i'm watching it exactly. and like this is funny but i'm not even reacting exactly it's very very hard to actually laugh out loud when you're watching a screen but that's the difference it's like i don't know i was uh, i was kind of talking to faculty members at usc about this cuz they're like very um, at the forefront of digital media and like VR and AR technology. And as soon as the lockdown happened, I was thinking like, there's going to come a time when a comedian v like through VR, AR projection will be able to appear in the living rooms of everybody yeah. just in their homes. That day will come. But what aspect of liveness are they going to focus on simulating? Is it eye contact? Is it laugh? Yeah. Is it the laughter feedback? Because those things are very important for the comedians in order to do their jobs well and get the crowd to laugh, right? To be your best, for sure. You need like all that stuff. You need to be, I mean, like, I guess if they did like that kind of thing, it would be, would the comedian, it would, would the idea be that the comedian could also like interact and see their audience. That would be interesting. Exactly. Because it would be one thing for them, like, to just be on a stage. Yeah. And then them just having them, like, digitally projected into people's homes. Exactly. But, like, exactly. yeah, to, like, have, like, private little shows for people. You have to have some element of interactivity. Mm -hmm. um, I guess kind of like what Oprah and Obama did during the pandemic. Like, they were both projected, but they were simulated and shown as if they're sitting in the same room. Like, yeah. I remember that. So like, that's like one step towards something like that. But, um, you know, with comedy, it's like, there's so many nuances to a live show that I just feel like can't get picked up with VR, AR technology until very, very, like way later when things are super good. advanced, you know? And I don't even think current technology good. is that good. I mean, it's great, but it's also like, it all it's breaks. Not. You know, like, I've never met a single person who's, like, had a piece of technology that has worked the whole time. It, it all yeah. fucks up. It does. You know, ironically, you know what used to work all the time? Like, just, you could count on it. Those um, old school analog tube televisions. Like, those really? tube TVs. Like, they never broke. They never break. But flat screens, flat screens, they break, like, lifespan is, like, five years. You know, yeah. at most, it's just yeah, so wasteful. Sure. It's really, really wasteful. Like back in the day, families would buy one TV and have it for an entire lifetime. You know, but I build um, like I, yeah, I you're right. Like the technology is not as reliable. 
No, it's not. I mean, like, I build a PC, like, when I can, like, to video game and do graphics editing. And, like, I have to replace parts every five years. Mm-hmm. It's it's annoying and it's expensive. But I wish I wish people would stop, like, trying to get new stuff and just fix the shit we have and make it work better. It's actually, it's all a big illusion, right? It's like, do you actually... Do you actually need this new thing because it is better or is it just like a trend thing? No, is it, yeah. You know, like it's more of a waste thing. People really. love, it's, people it's... like that dopamine hit of getting a new thing. And like, I love it. I'm a fucking, I'm terrible with money. I buy shit all the time. I, I shouldn't and I, but I do it. It's terrible. Yeah. Uh, but it's like, it's a, it's a hit. It's a dopamine rush. It is. It is. It is. It's uh. It's ridiculous how simple we are as uh, creatures. Um, that you know, actually, that waste is the thing that causes us momentary bliss, and that we are willing to do that. Yeah. So okay. So you um you move from Tennessee, move from Nashville. You say your father's Indian. Uh-huh. Um, like, what was that like growing up as an in half Indian? My- my family yeah my family is very american like even my grandpa my dad is a first generation so he's indian but he was born here okay my grandparents came over my grandparents came over like in their 20s so they adapted to american my my grandpa's a doctor so he they adapted Uh to american life immediately like it's annoying Uh because like i want to be able to hear my my parents and my grandparents talk about racism and like having trouble and my dad's like not nah. my dad pretty much lived the life of a white person like he didn't experience that shit and i'm like i can't believe i i'm not I, so i just have to live the life of a white person i don't get to go around and be like yeah. you don't know what my family my family didn't go through shit like <laughs> they didn't do there's nothing really to they didn't have to go through the hard immigration process i guess there's not i don't uh, know north carolina doesn't have a lot of uh, indian problems i guess Hmm. I guess technically, um, what's his face? Aziz Ansari, isn't he from North Carolina? He's from South Carolina. Oh, uh, sorry. But, yeah, yeah, same thing. I mean, South Carolina is more racist. It just like it. It's as racist as it is South. Like it's just like okay. it gets progressively more as you go down. Uh, yeah. But yeah, like yeah. No, Aziz. I think Aziz was first generation. My, I was second. And my mom's very white, and obviously I'm very white. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I like I I wish I could say like because I say that I'm Indian and shit, but I wish I could mm-hmm. like say it in a way where it was like actually diverse. Like I'm not really because like my family doesn't. We don't other than like being from a place. It, yeah. It like I don't have any of the. I wouldn't have anything to bring up at a meeting you know like the indian meeting where we all talk about what's what life is like that's different for us indian americans like i don't know i i didn't yeah nothing i go to india every four years though which is fun okay yeah that's something yeah and i think it's also something to talk about that experience to be like you're you're not it's like yeah maybe you expect me to give you a sad story about growing up in the south for with an indian family but it's like i don't have that actually you know and then you could talk about your unique experience as not having had that let's uh keep going um i want to ask you some flashcard questions for sure it's based on 
a show called uh, When a Man Loves. It's like a very campy, soapy kind of Korean drama. Okay, okay. so I'm just going to ask you questions based on scenes from the show, and you just answer like what you would do if you were in that situation. Okay. All right. So let's say you're a young woman named Bido, sure. and your parents run a small bookstore. And you have a younger brother who's trying to become a K-pop star, and you're studying and you're working hard to move up in the world. And your father takes out a loan with some loan sharks because he's struggling with his bookstore. And a man named Tezhang comes in and just <laughs> destroy just, just destroys your house and your business, beats up your dad, demanding payment. It's all violent. What do you do? Oh, what do I? Okay, in that. All right, let me try to get this, get this together. So my father, he's a simple bookstore man mm -hmm. who's gone in with some loan sharks. So he's not okay. Is my father the only person that's been beat up? Is, yeah. Is my brother and my mother okay? I You're think. <sighs> I um. I'm just watching my father get beaten up. I don't I don't know what 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 to do when when somebody's getting beaten up in front of me. So I guess I would just like uh I wouldn't help anybody out. I wouldn't be I wouldn't be very helpful, so I would probably I don't know, my house is destroyed. This I admit, maybe I just kill myself. This seems pretty, pretty <laughs> my dad's got beaten up. My brother wants to be a K-pop star. I don't want to be related to that. Like Okay. Uh I All mean, right. I don't maybe that wouldn't be the first thing I'd do, but I don't know. I don't have money. I'm a young Korean girl. Where am I supposed to uh -huh. get money to pay back this loan check? I guess I would I would uh I would find out, I guess in order to pay him back, I would try to jumpstart yeah. my brother's stupid K-pop star career. The oh. sooner my brother gets famous, the sooner I can stop this guy from beating up my dad, which I assume is what he's just going to continually do until mm -hmm. he's just going to keep punching him until my brother's famous and we'll send mm -hmm. him some money. So is So I would bring my brother to, is it easier to make it as a pop star in Korea? I bring him to like Scandinavia, somewhere, okay. somewhere that doesn't have a lot of diversity and a lot of talent. And okay. I bring my brother. I don't. It, hopefully, my brother is good. We might have to pay for some singing lessons. Uh, if he's shit, then we're fucked. But okay. Uh, yeah, I think I get him famous okay. in Scandinavia. Take all his money. Give the minimal wow. amount I can to my dad. And you know, okay. live life. Shit. All right. So you just become his manager. Okay. That's, that's yeah. a very practical, pragmatic solution. Okay. Um, let's say you're Vido again. You're the same chick, right? Okay. The man who beat the shit out of your dad tells you that he actually, he actually digs you. He likes you. He wants oh, you to be like his girl. Yeah. He's into, he wants you to be his girlfriend. How old and am he I? Prom you're like early twenties, early twenties. Okay. And you know, he's like, early 30s but he promises to protect you and your family from here on out from any other loan sharks and thugs what do you do oh so he he's just like into me now mm -hmm. that's fun 
I uh I think do I I guess I don't have to promise him to yeah, I I'll fuck him uh right away. Uh <laughs> I just like lock it wow. down. I don't wanna I don't know if it's a temporary offer. So I just lo- lo- okay. locked down this offer right away. This seems I have no I am I'm promiscuous. I have no fear of my body. Uh, I'll fucking right there in front of everyone. Uh, does that mean that my dad's like trying to what what other loan sharks is my dad fucked with? I mean with the gang world it's like it's it's always the whole a, town. My dad, it's a messy thing. Yeah. I don't know. I just think that if my dad's bookstore wasn't doing well, he's just less capitalism take it. <laughs> why why fucking do this? Why why put us through this? Now your daughter's fucking the man that just beat you up in front of you. <laughs> you put this on yourself. Yeah. That's true. All of he this deserves is true. it. It's kind of his fault, you're right. Mm-hmm. Okay. And his son's a pop star. You're obviously a bad father. <laughs> or a, a wannabe pop star. Okay. Well, you know, it's it's a whole industry. So they they do have trainees, like K-pop trainees. Okay. It's like a whole right. concept there. Um but yeah, it's it's uh you don't make any money from being a trainee. It just you just hemorrhage more money. Okay. Okay. So let's say you're a, a young man named Chehi. You're you're like in your mid 20s. Uh you have an older brother figure named Tesang who took care of you all your life. Tesang is that gangster guy. Uh, is Tezang, he the gangster guy that the, the like the beat up the other person's dad? Uh huh. Uh-huh, and and okay, went out with it. his his daughter. Yeah. Um, but Tesang, he's a very generous guy. He helped you go to school. He helped you every step of the way to become a successful, educated young man. And you got a job, and you go to Guam on a work trip. And in Guam, you meet a really hot, fun young woman named Mido. And when you get back home to Seoul, you realize that the hot, fun young woman that you like is actually dating your older brother figure, Tesang. What do you do? Wait, so my older brother, let me get this straight. The, the lady, the person that I fucked earlier on yeah. is dating <laughs> someone else? This you guys didn't fuck you. You, guys, you guys didn't fuck. You guys just kind of like flirted a uh, lot and hung out a lot, just had a great time. You still. guys did not... Did not have any physical intimacy. <laughs> I'm a good yeah. Christian yeah. Korean person, <laughs> and I, I I can't believe what I'm hearing that that this man yeah. who promised to protect my family and said that he liked me is in a relationship. Yeah. And then okay, so I'm this yeah. guy, and I hear that my brother, and I assume as his brother, I know nothing of his attempts to woo this other family. Because mm. if I did. I'm fucking pulling that trigger right away. I have no yeah. loyalty. I'll be like, my brother was cheating on you. Date me. Um, <laughs> okay. I, I won't. I have no dilemma in that. I mean, you guys, he helped me put me through school. But like, what am I doing now? I'm going to Guam. What did I do in school to end up there? But poor people live there, right? That's not even a U.S. territory. It's, no, it is a U.S. territory. It's not part of the main U.S. It is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's like, it's uh, so it's like, I don't know. Okay. I mean... Guam, I guess if Guam was fun, I'd appreciate my brother more. If I had a good time in Guam and, and I found out he was dating this person. To yeah. be honest, my what coming from me, what I would do is yeah. uh, leave it alone, shut up, don't tell anyone, and, and yeah. hold it inside. <laughs> okay. okay. 
Fair enough. Okay, let's say you're Tesung now. You're that lone shark gangster thug guy. Okay. okay, you come from a really sad background. You have no family. You have no support. No real education. But you fought your way up to become a gang leader, and beat up and killed a lot of people to get to where you are. All mm -hmm. right. But you put your thug days behind you and started your own business. You're very successful now, and Mido is starting to warm up to you. And one day, you come home. And you see that there's a shirt that doesn't belong to you in your closet, and Mito was in your house at the same time. And you suspect that it's your friend Chehi's shirt. What do you do? Okay, I'm trying to remember all the names that you've said. Okay, yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're I, the gangster guy. I'm the gangster guy, and I yeah. think that. So I have a girlfriend whose name. What, what's my girlfriend's name? Her name's Mito. Okay, so I think. So, but I I see the other girl's shirt in my house. The other guy's shirt, that guy that oh, you sent my to brother? school and stuff. Yeah, your your younger brother figure. You guys are not related, but you guys are. Oh, like brothers. we're not related. That guy. So, and oh, he, I his see shirt is happening. in your fucking house. Yeah. Oh, and I've put my beaten up and murdering days behind me. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, th you'd think. Well, obviously, I'm feeling feelings for another person and i could use this right i'm feeling feelings for the lady whose dad i beat up oh that's the same lady oh that's the same lady it's the same lady i that's the same lady it's the same it's you time. you've been faithful to this one young woman I, this whole i time. don't i thought i was a cheater i don't know korean <laughs> i just i thought you said different names no no no. i didn't think oh they're, and they're that, okay so they're i don't have anyone else i have no other no one no one yeah and my little brother figure is shirt is just in my idiot move, first of all. Yeah. How do you think I don't know my own brother's shirt? Yeah. My own fake brother's t shirt. Yeah. I um well I I would take the shirt and and I would uh I would rip it up. Okay. Just, out of, just just first thing. He doesn't get to have a shirt. His shirt's gone. Yeah. That's the first thing. That's yeah. the first. That's punishment number one. Okay. Of three, uh, I rip up his shirt. Um, punishment number two. I'll spread a rumor about him. Oh wow! Uh, like a rumor that he like, like I don't like that he sits in the shower. Uh, okay. something something mild, but like objectively, like people will look down on him. <laughs> get okay. that word out okay uh like he always then then i would say i would go to him and say i bet you're wondering who's who's been terrorizing your life recently who's been like spread who's been like rip, ripping up your shirt and spreading these this rumor and i'm gonna whisper in his ear i know <laughs> and then and then let that tear himself apart inside uh and then and then wait for him to come to me with the truth yeah very unconfrontational. Mm -hmm. I need him to tell admit to me. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's what I would do. Very good. Wow. Okay. It seems like you're on the right page with this the tone of this um kind of show. So that's good. That's Is that good. was I right? Is that what happened? Um something like that. Something kind of like that. Okay, okay. okay. Let's say you're Tesang, okay? You're you're that gangster thug guy. You come. You cool. complain about how sad you are because you think that your girlfriend is being unfaithful to you, 
Um, so your number two, your second in command, your stooge, his name is Chang Hee. And Chang Hee is actually okay. um, Che Hee's older brother. Like they're actually related. All right. Che Hee is the guy whose shirt was in your house, the younger brother figure ah, that you supported. Okay. Cool. But Chang Hee is Che Hee's older brother, and he's your number two. What Chang Hee does is he takes matters into his own hands and he runs down your girlfriend with his car. He attempted to murder her, okay, but she did not die. She just, she loses the ability to walk and she seems to have lost her memory. What do you do? What? How, how much memory? Like, oh. like she knows who you are. She could like identify certain people, but she can't remember who Chehi is, like the shirt guy. She can't remember who he is. Interesting. Yeah. Okay, well, it's not all bad. That's not terrible. Uh, huh. I, she can't walk. Yeah. That's rough. Yeah. Well, not permanently. Uh, legs are helpful. Not permanently. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, I don't really see what he did wrong. <laughs> Uh, he, uh, yeah, I mean, you get, you lose your legs for a sec, permanent, maybe we could talk, <laughs> but like, were you telling me she just doesn't remember the guy she's been cheating yeah, on me with? Yeah. Fine. And then now we'll, I'll make sure they'll never meet. Okay. And you know what? I, I'd, I'd ask him to go hit. My brother, my the other guy too. I do the same thing. If I could ask my number two to hit the younger guy in the same way, like like hopefully like maybe we can get him to go to the exact same location and like walk in the same yeah. way in the same yeah. angle, same results. Uh-huh. Make sure he goes to a different hospital yeah. that my girlfriend's not in, so they don't yeah. meet. They both lose their memories mm. of each other. This is like a it's like a very uh, roundabout way to. In eternal sunshine, something. <laughs> uh, yeah. Hit him with yeah, cars. Yeah, problem solved. Yeah. <laughs> eternal sunshine, somebody. Okay, okay. Very good. Last question. Last question. You're, you're Tesang again. You're that gangster guy. Turns out your girlfriend, Mido, she was pretending to have lost her memory because she was afraid oh if you found out about her having feelings for your younger brother figure, Chehi, she was afraid that you would go and kill the both of them. So your girlfriend is actually afraid of you and she thinks you're a monster and she's putting on a show to keep you from murdering people. What do you do? Interesting. So she's putting on... She's faking yeah. it. Yeah. Interesting. She actually okay. has a- And she's afraid that I'm going to murder yeah. her and her... Let's prove her right. No. Um... <laughs> I'm not going to kill a bunch of people. I mean, it seems like it would be a, a thing I do. I, I guess the, I mean, I, I really liked it when she didn't have her memory and I'm kind of mad knowing that she has it. So I guess we just keep hitting her with the car until, until it happens. Light hits. Maybe we hold her head up just hit the head part like bump it a little bit or what else causes memory loss uh could i give her a tumor like i don't know something something not super violent 
that'll just make her just violent enough (laughs) just a touch of violence yeah preferably she can forget and like i mean also i don't know i beat up her dad in front of her and she started dating me i mean obviously this is what she likes so i so so we're just gonna (laughs) run her in with the car until she forgets everything okay that's very um thug like of you. That's very G I think it's a character, yeah. <laughs> it's great talking to you, JP. Thank you. Yeah, it's great talking to you. Okay.